glad you're here this morning. Take some time and pray. Uh, Gary is over at Hillcrest this morning preaching, filling in for Brother Harry. So I'd like to pray for him as he presents the gospel there this morning. And also pray for us as we study the word together this morning. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for time to, um, to open up your word. A time to focus in on uh, things not of ourselves, but instead focusing on time um, that we get to focus completely upon you. So I pray as your message is being preached in a number of places this morning, I pray that you would speak through your servants, speak through Gary this morning as he um, presents the gospel there at Hillcrest this morning. I pray that you um, would speak through me, through your Holy Spirit, God, that as we study your word, it's been inspired by you and saved for us through generations. God, I pray that you would enlighten us this morning and help us to leave here with a greater understanding of who you are and what you've done for us and what you're doing for us so that we can leave here truly saying how great is our God and be able to share that message with the people who are in desperate need of that, those who have no hope, those who have not seen how great you are. So God, speak to us this morning. Help us to focus this short amount of time completely upon you. God, keep us from distractions. God, help us to... Um, to lean on our own understanding at this time, but instead trust in you and acknowledge who you are and how you want to direct our paths. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You ever been afraid of something? Maybe you're afraid of the dark. Anyone want to admit that? You're afraid of the dark. Maybe you're not afraid of the dark at home with the nightlight on or afraid of the dark at, the, at home with the uh, security light, but as soon as you go camping, you realize how dark it is outside and you become afraid of the dark. Are you afraid of food? You're afraid to uh, try new foods? Anybody familiar with afraid fear of food? Brian is a little bit afraid of food. He's afraid of trying new food, like great food like Rosa's. Uh, he's afraid of it. He's afraid of food. So uh, some of us have that. Some of us are afraid of bullies. Maybe we go to school and we're around people and, and maybe even set the workplace that we know of bullies and so we become fearful of them. Maybe that bully is your mother-in-law and you're afraid of your mother-in-law. Anyone in here want to point out who your mother-in-law is and how you're afraid of her? Or maybe it's deeper. Maybe it's fear of rejection. Maybe your fear of being rejected by someone and so you live your life afraid and you live your life in fear of something, fear of rejection or fear of failure. Maybe it's fear of bankruptcy. Maybe as we sang just moments ago, maybe you're a little bit afraid of death and so you, uh, so you cling to life on this earth so much because you are afraid of death. Anyone in here afraid of tomorrow? You don't know what it holds and so because you cannot control tomorrow, there's a little bit of fear facing what might happen tomorrow. We all face these Fears We face uh, every day something comes up in our life that we are afraid of. And so like last week we talked about, we try and find an escape from those things. We try and find a way out. If you're afraid of the dark, what do you do? You turn on a light. You keep a flashlight with you. You never go into the darkness. If you're afraid of your mother-in-law, you never show up where she is. Whatever the case may be, if you're afraid of fear, uh, food, if you have a fear of food, you just don't go to the places where those foods might show up. You stick to the places that you know, those that you're most comfortable with. Well, the Greek word for fear that we study often, uh, you're familiar with it. It's phobos. It's where we get our word uh, phobia. We, we talk about fear of things. We talk about phobias. Maybe you're most familiar with arachnophobia. You remember what arachnophobia is. It's not just a movie made in the 80s, but it is a fear of spiders. Some of you are not afraid of all spiders. Some of you are just afraid of the really large spiders that jump at you and hiss and 
whatever they do, spiders, they're just afraid, and we have that phobia of them. Some of you have this phobia, and I'm going to say it, and you're going to think something different probably, but some of you have this phobia, homophobia, homophobia. It's the fear of sermons. You come to church and you're afraid of what the sermon might be or might not be. Some of you deeper have a, pho a phobia called xenophobia. Xenophobia. Think about it for a second. Xeno. Xenophobia. Does it sound familiar? It is the fear of strangers. You see someone that you're unfamiliar with. You consider them to be a stranger, whether they're from your town or not from your town or from your state or not from your state, or from your country or not from your country, you see a stranger and you have a fear of them. Xenophobia. A fear of strangers. Some of you are probably more even familiar with agoraphobia. The fear of leaving home. Anyone know of someone that has this, this phobia? The fear of leaving home? Maybe even so much so that they won't even leave their physical house. They have such a fear of going out into the unknown that they have this phobia called agoraphobia. What I'd like to talk about a little bit this morning is agoraphobic Christians. Those who are so afraid they will not leave their home, their place of comfort, the place where they find most comfort. Agoraphobic Christians. A Christian that can't leave home because of the fear of what might happen, what might happen next. See, see we cannot be afraid if we have Christ. If we understand how hospitable our Savior is, and what he has done for us, and what he's doing for us, and what he's going to do for us, then we can trust completely in that. And when we have fear in tomorrow, and we have fear in food, or when we have fear in leaving our home, or we have fear of strangers, and we don't want to love them because we fear them, then we become, we have a lack of trust in who our Savior is. We have to become confident in who our Savior is. And who our Savior is. This is what really the gospel teaches us. To put confidence completely in Christ. Because in fear, when we live in fear, we're putting confidence in something that's not eternal. We're putting confidence in something that's momentary. Something that's fleeting. I think that my home is going to offer me comfort. I think that this particular place is going to offer me the things, the security, the satisfaction that I need. I think that this battery-powered flashlight will last me through the darkness so that I won't have to fear the darkness any longer. But that's not the truth. We have to put our trust in something that's eternal. So that's why the gospel teaches us to put our confidence completely in Jesus. So what the gospel teaches us is to stop putting confidence in ourself. But instead, we place our confidence in our great God. We begin fear, fearing Him. Begin standing in his presence in awe of what he is capable of. The small amount that we know that he is capable of, we begin fearing him instead of the things of this world. Fear really prevents us from doing many things. In fact, fear often keeps us from doing the things that we ought to do and causes us to do the things that we ought not to do. Maybe fear keeps you from knocking on your neighbor's door and offering the mercy and compassion that they are in desperate need of. Or maybe that same fear has caused you to wrongfully judge that same neighbor that you should be going and offering compassion and mercy to. Like we talked about last week in the story of the Good Samaritan, maybe it was the fear that the priest saw when he sees this man beat up on the side of the road, fear inside of him saying, the fear of the unknown, I don't know this gentleman. 
And so I don't know how to serve him. Am I even equipped to serve him? Do I have the time, do I have the resources? I don't know. I'm, I'm afraid I might be rejected by this. And so in that moment, I'm going to turn my head and walk away in, in fear instead of doing what God has asked us to do and show mercy and compassion to those who are in desperate need of it. I mean, sharing the good news that we have is the most important thing that we could do in life. Sharing the fact that we have a hospitable Savior, that he is great, greater than anything else in the world, is the most important thing that we could do every day. Not of an obligation, not because we want to put that on our chart or we're held accountable to it and say, oh, good Southern Baptist, we're going to mark it and say you are the best one here because you shared your faith seven times today. And seven times, seven is a godly number, so obviously you're a righteous, godly person for sharing your faith seven times times. That's not the case. The reason why we evangelize or share with the world how great our God is is because our God is great. There's no one else like him. There's nothing that compares to him. And so we need to share that good news about him. On the screen is this logo that our worship pastor, Brian, give credit to him, he made for us. There's a couple of things on here I want you to, to look at. Number one, I want you to look at that cool welcome to Lovington postcard sign. Or postcard sign. Whatever. Postcard. Uh, have you ever received a welcome to Lovington postcard? Anybody say, oh, it's a great place to go and visit. I'm going to send a welcome to Lovington postcard. A couple of weeks ago, I was reading in a book made in 1956, 101 things to do in New Mexico. And one of those things to do was visit Lovington, 1956. Come and visit Lovington. It had a variety of things on there, like visiting Twin Lakes. Didn't know we had Twin Lakes, uh, but apparently back in 1956, there was water. And uh, there was Twin Lakes. And uh, anyways, and so the, the, the little uh, buyer about Lovington said some great things about it. And it said it was a great place to visit because of how family-oriented it was. And the reason that the person knew it was family-oriented was by the many churches you could find in Lovington. Welcome to Lovington, home of many churches. I think that's a great thing. I think that's a good thing. Twin Lakes, many churches. Come visit Lovington. I don't know what your postcard said, but I would, I would just tell you this, that when the search committee uh, a couple of years ago invited us to come to Lovington, they didn't say anything about Twin Lakes. And they didn't say anything about 50-something Christian churches in town. They offered a number of other things, like the mountains are close, the mountains are close, and the mountains are close, or then where you are. The other things I want you to look at is this. That's a plane ticket or bus ticket, however you want to look at it. LMN stands for love your neighbor, love my neighbor. It's like, a, it's like an airport code. LVT is for Lovington. Uh, your job as a missionary here in Lovington is to love your neighbor uh, because they are, according to Christ and his death and burial and resurrection and his willingness to give up his life for others, they are worthy of hearing about Jesus. And so our job is to love our neighbor, to show compassion, to show mercy to our neighbor. Your plane ticket, if I was to give you one, to physically say, you're going on mission, here's your plane ticket, you would look at it and say, that's a postcard to Lovington, I live there, that's a plane ticket to Lovington, I live there. It has cost you nothing already. Just the time and the resources that you already have to share the gospel with those around you. The good news, not a program, not a set list of words to share, but the good news about how great our God is, about how hospitable our Savior is. If you're not familiar with that, there's three sermons from three weeks past that talk about the hospitality of our Savior. Go, listen to them, download them on iTunes, uh, listen to them from our website, talking about how hospitable our Savior is, how great our God is. 
We share that good news with the folks we come in contact with, with our neighbor, with those that come to our house and knock on the door and want to share a false gospel with us. We take the time not to send them away because we're not familiar with what they believe or anything like that, but instead we take the time to share the gospel with them because they are in desperate need of hearing the assurance they can have when they put their faith in Jesus and in nothing and nothing else. Turn to Second Kings chapter 17. Second Kings chapter 17. As we talk about and we think about fear and how great our God is, my goal is this, that I would get you thinking about as you leave here today, that fear is not going to stop you from sharing about how great our God is with whomever you come in contact with. Not that you need to go knock on a door or set up a program or do it on a specific night, but as tomorrow or as today when you have the opportunity to speak the gospel into someone's life, you would not be afraid because you understand how great our God is. That he's not something like an insurance policy that we hold on to only when we need it. We're not using him as a, a parachute that only when we do risky things do we use our faith in him. But instead we are living daily, putting our faith in Christ daily and putting that on display for others to see because that's how great our God is. That he's worthy of us giving up all our time, all our resources to follow him. Second Kings chapter 17, this is a story in the Old Testament. A uh, story about the Israelites and about how they made some mistakes. Anybody want to raise their hand and just confess this morning that you have made a mistake? Anyone? Yeah? Just myself. Okay. Oh, Mandy and David. Thanks, David. Thanks, Mandy. In the twelfth year, verse 1 of chapter 17, in the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, the son of Eli, began to reign in Samaria. Are you familiar with Samaria? We've talked about it. Samaria is one of those places that Jews, in the time of Jesus walking on the earth, they did not go because the Samaritans were a rejected people. They did not believe the same. They did not walk the same way that those righteous Jews walked. They walked in a different way. Eli began to, to reign in Samaria over Israel, and he reigned nine years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Not something that you want to be uh, remembered by. Matt, he was a great pe preacher, yet he did evil in the sight of the Lord. That stays on your resume forever. It goes on your tombstone, it's put down in history books, the, the fact that you did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet not as the king of Israel who, was, who were before him, Against him, verse 3 says this, against him came up this king of, of, of Assyria, and Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hosea, for he it sent messengers to so, so king of Egypt and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria. And he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. So war happens. This king overtakes. Verse 6 says this, In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Halah, and on the Habar, the river of Gozen, and in the cities of Medes. Verse 7. And then this occurred. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. What? Why did it occur? Because they had sinned against the Lord their God. They rebelled against God. They'd gone against what God had set out for them to do. God made a contract for them, and they rebelled against it. He made a covenant with them, and they rebelled against it. They sinned against God. They didn't sin against their neighbor. They didn't cause shame to their mama and their daddy. They didn't deface their last name, but instead they sinned against God. 
You can sin against me, and I can sin against you, and we can get over that. But when you sin against God, it has eternal implications. Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. See, they sinned against God not before he had released them from slavery, but he sinned against God after he had saved them and released them from slavery. Not only did they sin against God, but the remainder of verse 7 says, and had feared other gods. Their fear was misplaced. So they sinned against God, they broke covenant, they broke contract with God, and then on top of that, they feared other gods, little g. They made other things important, and they began fearing those things instead of putting fear in the place that it belongs, fear and trembling and awe of only, only the one true God. We deal with this in our world today. Maybe it's spiders that we have a phobia against, but they begin to control, I know this is silly, but they begin to control all our actions. Well, what are we saying a God does? We're saying a God gives us direction, leads us to places, defines our life. Well, agoraphobia is a phobia that says, I'm, af- I'm afraid of leaving my house. And so your whole life is determined by this fear. Side note. I'm spitting a lot this morning, and, I'm, and I apologize. I have no idea why. And they feared other gods. Verse 8, And they walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and the customs that the king of Israel had practiced. Not only did they break covenant with God and sin against him, not only did they begin fearing the things that they should not fear, but then they allowed those customs and those traditions to come and define who they are also. Does this not sound like people today? Come to our house, and oftentimes I'm so convicted of this. This sounds like me so many times that I don't give God the respect that he deserves, that he's worthy of. The small amount that I know about God, I should respect him so much more. I begin fearing other things instead of God Almighty. And I begin allowing traditions and customs to, to persuade me to live my life a certain, a certain way. Verse 9 says this, And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right in secret, yet God, they had a misunderstanding of who God was. God all-knowing knows exactly what they're doing, but they think in secret they can do these things against God. And in secret they built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree, and they made offerings on the high places, as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. They made these places, this could be offensive, but they made these places of worship, thinking that these places of worship that they've set up in these different places, on different street corners or on different mountains, on different hills and different towns, they thought that these places of worship were going to help them in life. But you need to know, any place of worship that is not worshiping God and God alone and His Son Jesus is not a place worthy of going to worship. Verse 12, And they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. If there's any more clear of a statement, you can't say in this that I had the excuse, well, I didn't know. Because the statement says, You shall not do this. 
Well, we made this idol, but I wasn't sure if, if we could or not. So we just went ahead and made the idol and began worshiping it. And it seemed good, uh, it seemed right, so we continued worshiping this idol. Yeah, but, but I told you, you shall not do this. It was very specific not to do this. Verse 13, Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways. And keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers, that I sent to you by my servants, by my servants, the prophets. God has sent out this, this, this decree, this warning. See how great I am. See the covenant that I've made with you. Don't fear other gods. Fear only me. Don't serve other idols. Serve only me. Keep the commandments that I have given you. I'm warning you about this. I'm warning you about this. Verse 14, but they would not listen. Oh, that we would not be a people in the year 2017, here at this community of believers, that we would not be known as a people who did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not listen. At least let us be a people who does right in the sight of the Lord and listens to what God commands. But they would not listen, but were stubborn, as their fathers had been been who did not believe in the Lord their God. They didn't see how hospitable their God was. They rebelled against him. They didn't see the weight of their sin. They continued in it. They didn't see the respect that God deserves, and they continued leaning on their own understanding, worshiping the things they thought were right, doing the things that they thought were good, not understanding exactly or enough to know about how our God is. Verse 15, they despise his statutes and his covenant that he uh, made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They despised those things. They went after false idols and became false. And they followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. They did everything opposite of what God has told them. It's like parenting. Maybe you've done this or grandparenting or great-grandparenting. I told you what to do and you have done everything completely opposite of what I've told you to do. Well, Daddy, I thought, no, that's exactly what I told you not to do. And our same God, saying that our God is saying the same things to us. Here's what I desire of your life. Fear me. Follow me. Let me lead you. Keep this, keep this covenant with, let me give my son up for you so that you can be righteous again. Clothe yourself in my son and in nothing else. Serve no other idol. Fear me and fear me alone. They went after false idols and they became false. They went after false idols and they became false. What an interesting statement. They, that which they were pursuing is what they became. If you're pursuing a fear, if you're, you will probably become that fear. That fear will overtake you and your whole life will be consumed by it. If you're pursuing a false idol, you will probably become that false idol. That what you pursue, you probably will become. Verse 16, And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves. And they made an Asherah and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. Verse 17, and they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings. And they used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. And none was left but the tribe of Judah only. Verse 19, Judah 
also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. I, I don't want us to be a part of this. I want us to learn from this example. The experience that Israel was had experienced and the instructions that they were passing along was not about keeping God's commandments, was not about fearing God and fearing God alone, was not about how worthy our God is or how great our God is to give our whole lives to. But instead, the, the, the leading that the Israelites were giving were leading people astray, not towards God, but away from God. Verse 21, And when they had, when they had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebuchadnezzar king, and Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit great sin. The people of Israel walked in all the sin that Jeroboam did, and they did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of the sight, as he had spoken by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was exiled from, from their own land to the land of Assyria until this day. Verse, verse, 30, verse 24. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and they lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. You would think that they would have learned by now. But dwelling in this new place, a new beginning, they still did not fear the Lord. And therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. He's giving them a chance. Praise God that a mountain lion has not entered the building yet this morning. If it does, guarantee I'm first one out because of this verse. So the king of Assyria was told, The nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of, of the land. And therefore he has sent lions among them. And behold, they are killing them because they do not know the law of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, Send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there and let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from, from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. This is where evangelism begins. What, what was he beginning to teach them? This priest who was removed and brought back, he began to teach them how to fear the Lord. So when we understand how great our God is and we have a grasp of that, even if it's a small grasp, then we want to go and share the good news of how great our God is so that others can begin to fear our great God in a respectful, fearful way. When David looked at Goliath, was about to fight him, he knew the stories. He saw how big Goliath was. Goliath is a giant. How can I handle this situation? How am I going to be able to tackle this huge task? But he didn't fear Goliath because he feared God more. He knew that God was more capable than Goliath of conquering things. Goliath is small compared to who God is. And so David's fear was not in Goliath, but David's fear was in God because he understood a small amount of how great God is. And in that small amount, he's able to do something incredible for the sake of God and his kingdom. When we begin, when we begin fearing things of this earth and not fearing or putting fear where it belongs and fearing God, do we actually do the things that God wants us to do? And so this priest comes and he begins to teach them that they should fear the Lord. Verse 29. But every nation still made gods of its own. 
He put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made every nation in its cities in which they lived. They still did not fear the Lord. The men of Babylon made uh, these things, and the men of Cuth made these things, and the men of Hamath made these things, and the Abites made these things, and these things, and the Servites, they burned their children in the fire to these, to these false gods. Doing all these things with the hope that they're going to receive satisfaction and direction and find worth and hope in life, and yet they're not, because they're not placing the fear where it should be. Verse 32, they also feared the Lord and appointed from among themselves all sorts of people as priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. So there was a small sense. They did have this insurance policy where they said, you know, we, we want to continue on with this life, but we're, we're hearing a little bit of who this God is that has sent lions to destroy us, that freed the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. So we're still going to fear God Somewhat. In fact, we only fear him somewhat, so let's go ahead and put people in place that can, can, can cover those fearful moments when we might fear, when we might fear God. But let's not make it personal. Let's not make it a part of our own life. Let's let someone else take care of that for us. And to this day, verse 34, they do according to the former manner. They do not fear the Lord, and they do not follow the statutes of the rules or the law or the commandment that the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. And the Lord made a covenant with them and commanded them, You shall not fear other gods or bow yourselves to them or serve them or sacrifice to them, but you shall fear the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm. You shall bow yourselves to him, and to him you shall sacrifice. Very clear. Who is it that's great? Only God. And so because only God is great, and there's nothing greater than him, we fear him. In a respectful way, we say the small amount that I know about you, God, you are great, greater than anything else on this earth. And so because of that, because you are great, and I also know that you are good, I live my life in fear of you. Nothing else will prevent me from sharing the good news of you, because I understand who you are. Nothing else will prevent me. No fears will, will overtake me because I understand who you are. I will not have a phobia of strangers or a phobia of leaving home or a phobia of sermons because I understand how great you are. And because I understand how great you are, I'm willing to share that with others. I'm willing to say that my whole life is worthy of you. That I give my time, my resources, everything that I am, I give it to you to be used for you and for your glory. Turn to the New Testament to the book of Acts, written by Luke, recorded the early story of the church. Turn to Acts chapter 2. So we're learning that we can't put confidence in ourselves. These Israelites, in 2 Kings 17, these Israelites, they put confidence in themselves. They thought they knew things. They thought they had an understanding of who God is and what they should fear and what they should give their life towards and what, what they should worship and where they should put worship things. And this is the place of, of worship. And then Christ comes along and he reveals himself as God, as God's son, as the one that's coming to save, the one that's coming to redeem, the one that's coming to forgive sins forever. In this early church, in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, they devoted themselves to some things. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And verse 43 says this, And all, or fear, 
or respect came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. See, what happens is, when they begin understanding how great our God is, awe and wonder and fear and respect get placed in the right place. They no longer fear things of this world, but instead they begin to fear the eternal King. They begin to fear the eternal God. They begin to understand that their Savior has saved them from God's wrath that He's capable of doing. They begin to see that our God is great, and because of that, they, they are not afraid of anything on this earth. When we talk about evangelism and sharing Christ with others, sharing the good news of the hope with others, we have this fear, fear of rejection, fear of disrespect, fear of failure. Do I really know the right things to say? Do I really know um, exactly what's the formula? Do you know how great our God is? Do you know what he's done for you? Do you know what he's doing for you? Do you know what he's going to do for you? Christian, if you've confessed Christ as Lord, then you know enough. It's interesting when we talk about disciple making. Because when we talk about disciple making, we think about time. We think about resources. We talk about being hospitable. We think about homes. We think about food. We think about all these things. You know, Christ was homeless. So to make a disciple, you don't even have to have a home. Christ didn't even have a job. He had no source of income. So technically, you don't even have to have a job to be a person who makes disciples for Christ. What do you have to have? You have to have Jesus. That's all you have to have. You have to have an understanding of who Christ is, of what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. And when you know those things and you've confessed Christ as Lord and you know and you trust that you've been saved and you begin sharing that good news, not of fear of men. Uh, Matthew 10, 28 tells us not to fear men. What can they do? They can only harm your body. Instead, fear, place fear upon God who can, who can destroy your body in hell and your soul. You place our fear upon God and God alone because we understand. Last little Bible reading. I say little as a joke. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were, they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus. So the religious folk were annoyed at these new followers of Jesus because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so, because of that, verse 3 says, that they arrested them, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. I hope that when I get put in jail, 5,000 of you show up in support of me. Verse 5, on the next day, uh, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. With Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power, or by what, by what name, do you do this? Remember the preaching in Jesus' name? The preaching and teaching in Christ about the resurrection of the dead? They're wondering, who gave you the badge? Who gave you the power? Who gave you the, the coat or the jacket? Or who gives you the authority to do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, 
If we are being examined today concerning a, a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Did, did Peter go back and, and quote ancient scripture? Or did he talk about a program? Let me invite you to a program and sit you down through this process. Did he hand them a piece of paper and say, here's what I know, or here's what I've been taught? No, he goes by what he has experienced. He's seen Christ. He has heard Christ. He's, he has seen the power of Christ at work. And he just shares that. Verse 11 says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Christian, if you're here this morning and you've confessed Christ as Lord, someone convinced you, I hope it was through the Holy Spirit, that you've been convinced that Christ needs to be Lord of your life. And so you preach that. You share that. That's the good news, that you've come to an understanding that Christ needs to be Lord of your life for the sake of salvation. Verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. There is a hope inside of me that as I talk to people and share the good news, that they would not hear a program, that they would not hear memorized words, but instead they, that they would hear and recognize that I have been with Jesus. And when they recognize that, they would see how great our God is. And that is evangelism. When people recognize that you have been with Jesus. Verse 14, but seeing the men... Seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. When they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do about these men? For what a, for that a, a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. We cannot deny that what has happened in their life and what has happened in this crippled man's life, we cannot deny that it has happened because of Christ. Then order that they may spread no further among the people. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. I'm fearful in our world today that when someone tells you to stop speaking about Jesus, or when someone tells me to stop speaking about Jesus, we use that fear of man in this case, and our response would not be the same. Instead of cowering back and saying, oh, you told me to stop, so I'm going to stop, these who have seen Jesus, who have heard Jesus, who have been with Jesus, they say this. So they called them and charged them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, But when Peter and John answered them, answered them this way, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Verse 20, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard plainly spoken evangelism is not about you when you make it about yourself you begin to allow fear to rise up when you make the good news about yourself 
You begin to hold it all to yourself. When you begin to make the resurrection and the crucifixion and the holy life that Christ lived for you only about you, you become selfish and fearful of outside things. When we understand that evangelism is not about you, it is about how great our God is, then we actually accomplish something for the kingdom. Evangelism is about telling folks who have no hope in Christ, who have no direction in life, who fear a number of things, that there is a way, there is a truth, there is life eternal, there is righteousness, there is hope, there is peace, and it all comes through Jesus. Evangelism is not about you, but instead it is about what you have seen, about what you have heard in the person and the Lord and the hospitable Savior, Jesus. And that's the good news that we should be willing to share with others. I'm going to pray for you. And my hope is this, that if you have seen and heard Jesus, and that you have confessed Christ as Lord, and that you have a small amount of knowledge about how great he is, that you would not fear anything other than God. And that with your fear and your awe of God, you'd be willing to go and share with anyone that you come in contact with how great our God is. Let's pray. God, I know that I only know...